Welcome to the Upshot, Ultiworld Disc Golf's podcast about the latest in the disc golf world. I'm the publisher of Ultiworld Disc Golf, Charlie Eisenhood. Joining me, as always, Jamie Thomas. And, you know, normally we kind of get right into talking about event stuff. Today, we're going to flip the script and we're going to get to some of your emails first and foremost. Remember, you can always get in touch with us at upshot at ultiworld.com. Very easy. And, uh, Jamie, we've got some good ones today. Do you want to kick us off with our first listener email? Yes. Thanks once again to everybody who is sending us some stuff in. All of these emails kind of have to do with world. So Charlie and I figured, let's just get them out of the way. Let's talk about the world's clap back and let's move on to the next thing. Uh, okay, first one. I know, Charlie, you got something to say about this. So this is a little more general, PDGA and the DGPT. So I'll read this to you. Yeah, we were talking about this, this last is, week. Okay. This is from Sean. He says, what's up, guys? I have a few opinions on the subject of the national tour versus the pro tour. First... First off, 100% agree that events need to be prestigious, which means Worlds and USDGC need to stay at the end of the season. Smart guy, Sean. But where my view differs is that if you look at our sister sport of golf, the USGA was founded in 1894 and the PGA Tour was founded in 1929. Ironically, pretty close to the same difference in years between the PDGA and the DGPT. Honestly, I feel the PDGA should be our governing body and handle amateur events like the USGA does in golf. I feel if we want our sport to grow on a pro level, you need a separate organization handling just the pro side of it. The reason being is eventually we are going to get to a point where the PDGA is going to want to limit sponsorship or limit tournaments because due to prior engagements and prior tournaments being held. Uh, I feel if Callaway came in and said, we want a tournament on a certain weekend and they offered to pay for everything, including the media, PDGA might not go for that, especially if the sponsor wanted full control. But I feel like Steve Dodge and the DGPT will be more than willing to work with the sponsor to put on a certain event. We need to realize that the eventual fact that the tournaments with the biggest purse and sponsorship will survive and the smaller events won't. Just my two cents. Charlie, what you got on this one? Well, okay. In, in, at its core, what Sean is saying is right. I mean, I think that's the simple thing to say is that, yes, true, but... The thing is, is disc golf ready for that move now? I am not sure that that's the case. I think that basically this bridge has already been kind of approached and the PDGA has said, we are not ready to cross that bridge. We are going to continue running national tour. We're not going to pass off all of the pro level events to Steve Dodge and the disc golf pro tour. And I can understand why they're doing that. One could argue that they're doing that because they are sort of trying to preserve their ability to kind of manage the pro side of the sport. And it's more of like a self-preservation thing. But I think that it's more about thinking about sustainability and knowing that the PDGA is going to be able to continue to put on the national tour year after year after year. We don't really know yet whether the disc golf pro tour is going to make it. I mean, imagine if they just given it to the disc golf world tour and then poof, disc golf world tour is gone. So, I think eventually, yes, that should happen. And I think there will be a natural moment for that to happen. I don't know that now is that time. I don't know how quickly we're going to approach that time. But it seems like there's still a few years where there's going to be kind of uh, this dual system that we're seeing right now. Well said. And I can tell you from working with the Disc Golf World Tour in its kind of formative months and leading up into its first season and also working with the Pro Tour in their first season, 
both Steve and Yusi approached the PDGA with that exact proposal. They wanted to take over the tour and allow the PDGA to focus on amateur events because of all the communication. That's what they say they're into. I also I agree with Charlie 100 percent. We're not there yet. Um, the, the pro tour is doing a great job, but it's not a hundred percent tour quality events across the board yet. And that may get some people up in arms, but I'm just being honest. Yes, there are some highly prestigious pro tour events. It has come up very quickly. It has become a staple in the tour, but it needs to be top to bottom. Like you're as, you're as strong as the weakest link. And so we have to get that level up. And we don't know that the Pro Tour is financially viable yet. I guarantee you if it was profitable, we would at least hear some kind of news about that, right? And so I I don't know what their numbers are, but I assume that they are making ends meet and not much more three years in. So good idea, but something to address down the road. All right, I got an email for you from one of the uh, two excellent names in our listener email this week, Thunder. Thunder says, Multi-World Disc Golf, Macbeth has taken second place at the World Championships for the past three years. The very next time he competed against the reigning world champion, afterwards, he has beaten them by an average of 17 strokes. What does this say about the shortened amount of rounds at Worlds, determining the best player? And what does this say about Paul's GOAT status? Wow. Okay, first of all, shout out to Thunder and the Schultz family. They're my Baton Rouge people. Uh, Thunder Schultz got second in the putting challenge behind James Conrad at Worlds. So just want to give him a little props for that performance. Shout out. Uh, wow, that's a cool stat. So when Paul doesn't win Worlds, he comes back and smashes the world champion, which is Ricky and Greg. I... You know what I was saying, Charlie? If Paul had won from the chase card, I was telling you this off off the track at Worlds. If he had won that event from the chase card, that would be enough in my mind for him to be GOAT. To do so many things that have never been done before, 18 down round, winning a world title from the chase card, still you know, being in contention. Yeah, so what about his status? I mean, it's just another on the list of impressive Paul Macbeth moments and, and accolades. Yeah. I, I, I think that when all is said and done, Paul will be considered the greatest. I, I do. I, I think we're seeing right now, even though he didn't win worlds, if you watched him play, you saw that he was the best player. Like I, 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 there were moments where you he would make a shot and you'd be like, oh my God, this dude is just locked in. I mean, his putting has finally recovered to the point where you're seeing confidence and you're seeing him put in big putts. He did it at Delaware all weekend. We'll talk about that. The, the fact is he could still go out and win USDGC this year and he still could win multiple majors more over the next few years. I mean, that. It's not like he's going anywhere. So while he maybe isn't quite there yet, that you're not quite ready to say, okay, yes, he's the greatest of all time, You maybe you can, number one. I, I don't think if you argued that, that people are going to think that you're uh, you know, way out of line. But I, I think 
the fact that he's had big wins in the past over the players that have beaten him just goes to show you that he's, uh, you know, he's clearly a fantastic player. And I think it probably, to me, says a little bit more about the the hangover, perhaps, that players tend to have after they win than it says about Macbeth personally. But look, you know, he he is the most talented player. And I, I think a year ago, if you asked me this, I would have said, no, Ricky's the best player in the world. Ricky is the best player in the world. And I think he was. But this year, Paul is the best player in the world. And that's despite the fact that he's not won a lot yet. You know, that was his first NT win this weekend. And it's not like he's had his best season, but I think when you look at it in totality and you think about who do you pick as the most talented player on the planet right now, it's Macbeth. Can we quickly flip this on its head and say, what does this say about Climo's GOAT status that all of these accolades that we are seeing Paul accumulate and looking okay we're determining goat status based on how they're doing in tournaments right like they're how many ones next to their name how many titles all that good stuff but if you like if you compare climo's game and paul's game i think there's no question that today in 2018 you have to have a much more varied and diverse skill set to consistently win than you did in the 90s well that's the whole argument and that's why even though Paul is probably unlikely to surpass Climo's numbers, the raw stats, the championships, you know, Paul's not going to be nicknamed the champ. But no way. He's playing in an era where things are different. It it it, it is just definitely harder to win now than it was then. And it's is the same argument that you get into when you talk about whether Michael Jordan or LeBron is the best basketball player of all time. Yes, true. true. James is not, doesn't have as many titles, doesn't quite have the same final success as Jordan, but he's also playing in an era where it's a lot harder to be a great basketball player and and win championships. So making that comparison is difficult. I mean, if you're talking about titles, obviously Climo is the champ. But if you're talking about who is the best player ever, well, then Macbeth is clearly in the conversation. And it's just such a credit to Climo that he would he to weather the barrage against the greatest of all time castle for Climo to stay in there. Like, look at what Paul is doing. Look at the eye popping things that he is doing in this game. And we are still only debating it. Like, that's just due credit to how just how many heads and shoulders Climo had to be above the rest of the field back then to still be relevant 20 years later so true crazy all right more emails how about one from adam adam says hey charlie and jamie firstly i just wanted to say i've only gotten to just gotten into disc golf six weeks in and really enjoying the podcast and the sport yo six weeks in shout out welcome to the family so happy you're here secondly he says just catching up on a few older episodes and came across the one last month featuring Jessica Weiss, and there was a chat around Ledgestone FPO, and we had a discussion about T-pads. I uh, just wanted to say Worlds was the first competition I really followed as it was happening. I followed both FPO and MPO across the whole five rounds, and it was very, very natural to see FPO play the same course. What do you guys think? Revisiting the conversation from August, uh, 
to now seeing the FPO tee pads at Worlds? Well, I I would say that this is the exact way that it should work. I think this is the ideal situation. Play the same courses, and on some holes, have FPO playing different tee pads. And speaking of, we didn't really discuss this much during the week, but both of the courses up at Smuggler's Notch were super awesome because they had like five tee pads each. Like everyone had like a kid's red tees that were like, you know, 75 foot shots dead straight to the pin but then they had all of the other ones going all the way back to the gold tees and so you know if you're even if you're a pretty good player you might not play the gold tees you'd probably play the blues if you just walked up to this course and i think that's really cool because it meant that on some holes where it was appropriate everyone played the same tee and on other holes where maybe the distance was a little bit too daunting they would have the women play the blues and you know, you can hardly tell the difference if you're watching from home. The shot selection is often very similar, and you're just carving off some of the distance um, for the for the FPO players. And I, to me, that's exactly how it should look. It's exactly how it should work. And I hope to see more of that kind of um, standardization going forward. Yeah, I was against FPO having different tees early on in the year. I kind of liked being able to compare. Like, it didn't bother me that FPO was above par and MPO was below par. I kind of liked just seeing how the different genders played the same course. But I will admit that I've come around more on that. And as long as it's a good course, because it has been more exciting, I will readily admit that some of these FPO T-pad changes have made watching their coverage more exciting they can threaten a few more holes with birdies they can play a more natural risk reward style golf it doesn't seem like the course is too big for them and at the same time they can always bump up and play open you know if you have like a britney lincecum giving just yet another pga tour analogy here who wants to play or, or who gets an opportunity to play open and hit with the big boys then awesome step up and do it it's it's available and now the fpo players have the option so that's something i flipped on this season for sure yeah, the primary thing for me they should play the same courses whether yeah. they play the same t pads or not i'm less invested in but i don't like seeing fpo players playing worse courses just because they have you know more suitable distances or something so Agreed. much much better than the last time i was at worlds which was at emporia where they were playing different courses for the most part, I thought this was a substantial improvement. Last email. This one's from Stu. Stu Mullenberg. Stu. Superb photographer. Got to check out his stuff. And he, uh, he says, hey guys, media perspective. It was damn near tragic. Two players at Worlds had a chance to win from the chase card. This would have been a huge letdown. There absolutely must be a final nine until you have two-card live coverage. Maybe that's a hot take, but if Matty O wins without more than a shot or two being shown live, big problem. Thoughts, Jamie? I hate final nines. I love Stu. I hate final nines. I think they're corny. Um, and yes, I, I recognize like the, the final nine battle in 2014 between Paul and Ricky is one of the great battles in the history of the modern era. Uh, despite that, I still don't like the format in general, but I think it would have been tragic, 
especially for Matty O, who doesn't get a lot of media coverage. And he's really, really, really good. Uh, a little less tragic if Paul had won it just because, well, it's Paul. We've seen him. But I, I think the answer is when can we start? And I know this is a huge technical challenge. I'm not saying that anybody's like behind the times or anything. But in the future, when do we start thinking about how to evolve coverage into more of that golf style broadcast where we're filming holes, not cards? And then you start to close it in on that last nine in the last nine holes of the tournament. So I'm kind of with you, Stu. Yeah, I, I basically agree with you, Jamie. I, I think final nine doesn't really feel like the answer. It feels like a stopgap. I think we've got to push the envelope on live coverage. That's the, that's the number one thing. Because if you have more than two cameras being shown live, because right now, you know, it's pretty much, there's like the T cam and the catch cam uh, on the Smashbox coverage of Worlds. And they, they eventually pulled a camera off onto the chase card. But that was very late in the round. And... It, it was very much a possibility that Orem or Macbeth could have forced a playoff or even outright won the tournament and that we would have barely seen any of it happening live. And that would have not been great. That would have not been great. So I think we got to think about figuring out how to do live better. And uh, there's some, I'm going to tease it here. Got an article coming out. Some interesting stuff going on at USDGC. That could be a at least a part of a solution for the future. Oh, is there? That's what I've heard. Oh, interesting. Can't wait to see what you uh, post about that. <laughs> I do want to. I got to jump in real quick. I'll make this quick. Everybody, don't go out and demand Smashbox start changing up their model quickly for 2019 or anything. Those guys work tirelessly, and the money that let me just tell you something about the media. The money that all of us are offered to come and film these events is not a lot of money. It, it is so hard. Like there's everybody in the media wants to do the next thing. And I guarantee you all of the people you've ever heard of, we all have ideas for that next step. Nobody doesn't know what their next step is. The problem is we're already splitting our dollars. Hey, where does this new dollar that we just got in the sport go? Does it go to the purse? Does it go to the event? Does it go to the media? We're at like at that technical limit where we need some fundraising to really happen to execute those ideas quickly. So just do want to point out that with that, I guess we could call it traditional style one card coverage. They did still get 11,000 concurrent live watchers. So, Epic. you know, it's it's going in a good direction and we will get there. But don't rush out and yell at Smashbox to change things up. Let them do it as they can keep the quality par. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk Delaware, the national tour event that just happened this weekend. We've got some giveaways from MVP Disc Sports. We've got some picks for the U.S. Women's Disc Golf Championships coming up this weekend. So stick around. You're listening to The Upshot. This is meteorologist Jacob Wilkins with your Upshot weather forecast presented by Friction Gloves. The United States Women's Disc Golf Championships takes place this weekend in Lansing, Michigan. A cold front will move through the region on Friday, bringing adverse weather conditions with it. Gusty southwest winds will give way to gusty northwest winds throughout the day. A few showers and thunderstorms will also be possible as highs top out in the upper 70s. Calmer weather conditions can be expected on Saturday as high pressure moves into the region. Winds will calm as temperatures become a bit cooler, only topping out in the mid-60s. 
That high pressure should remain locked in place on Sunday, as wind conditions once again will remain fairly calm and highs top out in the upper 60s. Don't let weather affect your game. Friction gloves help provide a consistent grip in all conditions. Visit www.frictiongloves.com to grab a pair today. Welcome back to The Upshot. A little bit of a bounce back week for some folks who didn't quite get the job done at the World Championships. Some NT wins for Paul McBeth and Sarah Hokum. Kind of like going back to basics in a lot of ways. Jamie, I think you said it best when we were talking about this before the show in the MPO. After all of this crazy season, what did you just tell me about this weekend? In a season full of parody, this is chicken soup for the soul. This is like... I'm home sick from work and I need that comfort food. <laughs> you can't get more chalk than this. The world's number one, two, and three finished one, two, and three. How about the fact, speaking of chicken soup and being sick, Ricky Waisaki goes to the damn hospital the night before the final round and then comes out and just goes slugfest back and forth with Macbeth in like a classic Maybe the first truly classic Paul versus Ricky battle of the season. Maybe that guy is this like Michael Jordan playing in the finals with the flu kind of thing. Can we bring MJ back if, into this? If he had won, yeah. I would give it to you. But I, he didn't win. So I he didn't I think, win. I think credit, a lot of credit. Good for him. A, amazing story that he was had some kind of stomach virus and then came back and played very well. But can't give him can't give him the uh the top accolades without actually getting the dub you know what else he didn't do he did not miss many putts i think he missed one circle one putt the entire weekend i mean he playing with a stomach bug and he's nailing like 50 and 60 footers the guy went four for six final round c2 putting 12 for 21 over 50 percent Hit 12 circle two putts on Iron Hill, this crazy wooded course. Man, I look, to, to be able to engage, how do I say this nicely? To, to be able to engage the lower abdominal muscles when you have a stomach bug and putt from 60 feet and uh, keep everything in the stomach that's supposed to stay in the stomach, I'm just impressed with the physicality of that, no first doubt. off. You know, the problem is for for Ricky, as great a day as he had, Paul McBeth Whew. went five straight holes canning a circle two putt. Tell him nine feet, thirty-eight feet, thirty-eight feet, thirty-eight feet, thirty-eight feet. I mean, this is some unreal stuff. He ended up going, I think, six for ten on circle two putts in the final round. And despite the fact that Ricky had an eagle, Macbeth still shot 14 under on the day. And uh, that was indeed the hot round, beating out Waisaki and Eagle, who went 13 down. Story of the weekend is circle two putting. I mean, and it's crazy because in tying into that, Macbeth, if you look at UDISC and you look under scramble percentage, Macbeth's third round, it says... TBD. It says TBD before you tee off when you're doing U-Disc Live. He never had to scramble. He never missed a green in regulation. 
all weekend at Iron Hill. That course is nuts. Unbelievable performance. 38 birdies in 54 holes. Come on. Yeah, it's wild stuff. And, you know, looking at the whole weekend together, uh, Macbeth went 59% from circle two. Waisaki, and that, that was good enough for first place. Not a surprise. Waisaki went 57% second place. And then you, it, it drops all the way down to Philo in third at 50%. I mean, this is some crazy stuff. Macbeth birdied 70% of the holes. 70%. Eye-popping stats. Okay, let's put this in context. Great. Last five events on UDISC. So we're talking, I included Canadian championships, which we'll tease a little later. World's MVP Open, Ledgestone Open, Idlewild. Sexton up in Canada went six for 15 outside circle one. So circle two, 40% made six of them. Barsby at Worlds, and this was five rounds. Eight of 27, 29%. James Conrad at MVP. Here's an outlier, 53%. 7 for 13. Sexton won at Ledgestone. He only hit three outside the circle putts in 14 attempts, 21%. And Macbeth back at Idlewild went 5 for 14 for 35%. Paul made 13 this weekend, and Ricky made 12, and he hit the cade for his 13th one in the final round, which would have been which would have made it really, really close coming down the stretch. Between these two guys, what is that, 25 circle two putts between those two? The last five winners have only hit 29. Five winners of five tournaments, 29 outside the circle putts combined. Wow. Including five rounds at Worlds. These guys put 25 on the stat sheet this weekend. Like That's just an incredible putting battle we were witness to. And just like... I just want to go back to this briefly. In the final round, Paul Macbeth hit the green in regulation on every single hole. He was the only player in the field to do that. Let's just take a moment and think about that. On a course that if you are the slightest bit off, it's going to eat you up. He never missed the green. I mean, it's it's unbelievable in, in in a lot of ways. And, you know, this is why we talk about him as the greatest on the planet right now. Because he had to go out there with a two-shot lead heading into the final round. And he lays down one of the better rounds of the year. Incredible. What to give context... Do we know the rating? I think it was like upper 1060s. It wasn't... The, the raw crazy. number wasn't overly impressive but i think partially that's because ricky was just paced with him eagle mcmahon shot 13 down in the final round with a measly 31 percent. he only made <laughs> one out of every three circle two attempts uh, to be clear paul set the course record uh it shouldn't be a surprise yes yes with eagle and rick one stroke off of that pace in the final round but it, you were talking about how hard this course was. I think the most common shot besides a putt that we saw Paul Uliberry throw, and he played phenomenally all weekend as well, he threw more forehand rollers than I think like any other type of shot. So 
you get into these little spots where you just have to put the most technical moves on a disc. And I mean, just my goodness, what a, what a solid performance. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. And, uh, you know, I think we saw Macbeth look great in the, in the, particularly the last round at worlds. And he rolled right into this weekend and kept it going with uh, a, a total 36 under. He beats Wysocki by, by four strokes. Eagle McMahon and Paul Uleberry tied for third, five shots back of Ricky. So it was quite a spread there, um, even in the top. A lot of scoring separation for Macbeth and Wysocki. Sepapayu, by the way, fifth place. He has really been playing well. And it's it sort of feels like he hasn't had a ton to show for it because he hasn't been right there podium finishes, but... Uh, he has been very solidly within the top 10. I uh, played great at Worlds and played great again this weekend uh, in Delaware. And he eagled, spoiler alert, final round, par 5, hole 17. I believe the hardest hole on the course. If not, then it was the second hardest hole on the course. Um, see if I can pull this up real quick. Hole, round 3, hole 18 was the hardest hole. Hole 17 was the second hardest. The guy eagles it. Just massive. I mean, And the commentary team, Uliberry and, and Coling, they were talking about a four, a birdie on that hole feels like an eagle because of how hard it is. And Seppo just casually, casually putting discs in the basket for eagle. So, you know, other than a couple like little putts here and there that you should make that he just, you know, kind of lost mental focus on or whatever. He was not far off of challenging for this win as well, playing really well. Guess who kept his top 10 national tour and pro tour streak alive? Mm, I actually don't know who you're going to say. I, I shouldn't say streak, I guess. That's slightly misleading. I mean, still in the top 10 in the point standings, as we talked about oh. a couple weeks ago on the show. Grady Shoe. Grady Shoe. He finished he eighth. And so he's still he's in 10th place on the national tour behind Philo, Uliberry. Sexton, Lazat, Macbeth, Kevin Jones, Drew Gibson, Wysocki, and the leader, Eagle McMahon. Yeah. If you're a Grady Shoe fan, reach out to him and tell him to come on the podcast. We want to talk to him. We do. He's he's dodging us a little bit. You know, this is kind of the, the, the last big stop for the MPO until USDGC. Macbeth gets his first national tour win. I mean, I think we should probably chat briefly about that. Does that feel like a surprise? It feels overdue. He plays really well in the West Coast, but wasn't able to come up with any of them. It, it, so it feels overdue. And I, I think the biggest thing it does is adds drama to the USDGC. I mean, we keep talking about how you can't write better storylines for this season. Parody, 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 parody. One time, one time. Huge stories. Emotionally, we're drained after Worlds. And then we come in and like the world is put right again by the numbers. And then we have USDGC. So now who who are you going to pick? Oh, jeez. I, I, I don't even want to get into that yet. Let, yeah, let's see, let's, let, let's wait a week us. on that conversation. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, I do want to know, we, we asked last week, you know, who's going to have the better bounce back, Ricky or Eagle? Well, it was pretty close, but it was indeed Ricky. And so congratulations to Hawk. And uh, he wins a year of UDISC Pro. So congrats, Hawk for picking Ricky to have the better bounce back. 
How does Hawk not pick Eagle? Good, good question. Good question. Oh, well. He won. <laughs> <laughs> so on we go. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on over in the women's side at Delaware. Paige Bierkus looked like she might get another win, a back-to-back after her world's win. But no, it was Sarah Hokum who uh, came away on top. She finished at 7-under. And uh, that was good for a five-shot win over Kristen Tatar. And then a um, one back of Tatar was Birkus at one under in third place. So uh, Sarah Hokum kind of gets back out there and shows off that she continues to be kind of the most consistent golfer this year. Uh, gets another big win and is doing it in the woods where you might think that she would struggle. You know, we've, we've talked about her game and her style and uh, she's shown off the ability to use that forehand in a lot of various ways. Yes. And of course she won and I didn't have her on my podium for picks, but this just felt like a continuation of the battle in Vermont. I think it was, I mean, I think it was Hokum and Bjorkis for most of it. Kristen Tatar was, was threatening, but I don't know. I don't know if it ever felt like, Maybe I'm wrong here. I don't know if it ever felt like she was going to actually win the thing, but you always knew she was going to be in the mix. So it was kind of just the continuation of the duel from Worlds. And for the most part, Birkus staved off that fall off, that kind of letdown until that final round, just that front nine couldn't really get going. And Hokum was able to outlast her. Well, yeah, and it really was Birkus who you thought might have a chance to win it. Uh, she, was, she had a one-shot lead after round one. Uh, Hokum took the lead after round two as, uh, by, by one stroke. And, uh, then it was just a, a better performance from Sarah in the, in the final round where I believe she went, uh, four under, uh, let me check my notes here. No, just, I'm sorry. Just one under in the final round for a total of seven under, uh, Katrina Allen actually had the hot round on the final day with a three under. Uh, but uh, a very nice second round from Hokum. Uh, she was uh, she shot a 68, so that would be a four under for the hot round on the day, and that put her in a position to get the win as Birkus didn't play her best on uh, the final round. Yeah, starting out that final round, Sarah Hokum took strokes from Birkus on six straight holes through through six. Hokum was three under. Three birdies and uh, three pars. Paige Bierkus took uh, two pars and four bogeys. So it was, I think, uh, Hokum got out to a comfortable lead. And then it was, you know, you really have to try to push. And that's a hard course to push on. I don't care whether you're playing short or long tee pads out there. Yeah, but I, I have to say, and, you know, I know Paige Pierce wasn't there. But I think a really good follow-up to her world's win for Bierkus. And surely she's disappointed by her final round, especially having had a chance to win, um, you know, back to back. But it's not like she dropped down and finished an eighth or something like that. She was right there with a chance to win and just had that bad sequence at the beginning of the round and it kind of torpedoed her chances. Yeah, I mean, what is this, an eight rounds, five at a major, three at an NT? She had one nine-hole stretch of bad play at the major and one nine hole stretch of bad play at this NT. So, you know, one out of eight total rounds, 18 tough holes, nothing to, nothing to worry about. Still a very respectable performance. 
So uh, as we get ready to turn our attention to the U.S. Women's Disc Golf Championships, we have an opportunity to um, pull out a little trivia. And we have an exciting giveaway from MVP. So, Jamie, why don't you tell us about the giveaway, and then we will give the trivia uh, as a, a way to have a chance to win this prize. Yes. Thanks to MVP. You guys may have noticed, if you watched any of our highlight videos, that both uh, Jacob Sanders and Jeff Faze were featured from Team MVP. We really appreciate MVP for coming in and and rolling the dice with us and taking a chance on us. So uh, in return, we're going to give you guys some pretty sweet stuff. So today we are going to give away the MVP pack from, and you guys may know this, they run a series called the MVP versus Axiom series. If you don't know, it's similar to the Circuit Challenge, but players can choose either an MVP or an Axiom-themed players pack. Offers players more options to strategize and complete he- compete head-to-head with new plastic from their favorite brands. In this MVP pack, you will get a Plasma Motion, a Neutron Matrix, and an Electron Atom. Plasma, Neutron, Electron being their plastic grades for the Uninitiated and Motion Matrix Atom being driver mid putter so uh worth over 60 dollars msrp big shout out to mvp disports for that and everybody get ready because this is a tough one charlie and i had to do some research before the show to bring this question the uswdgc like the usdgc is in its 20th year indeed it's for first run in 1999 two players have won two U.S. women's titles, and they are looking to add a third notch to that belt up in Michigan this weekend. There are two other women who have won three U.S. women's titles. Who are they? Now, that question might have been a little confusing, so let me let me phrase it one more way. There are 12 total U.S. women's champions in the history of the event. Two of those 12 women have won three titles. Who are they? Name them both. And the MVP players pack from the MVP versus Axiom Challenge will be headed your way. So there you go. First to answer correctly will win. Bonus points if you can name the years. That would be super bonus points. Uh, Oh, yeah. Notably, and this is maybe a very small hint. There is one other player who has... So, as Jamie said, two players will be going for their third. There is one other player who also has a pair, but won't be going for her third. Um, so, that's just a small hint that could maybe give some extra insight. Uh, so, there you go. Who are the two players that have won three U.S. Women's Disc Golf Championship titles? Send us an email, upshot at ultiworld.com. You can comment below. You can hit us up on Twitter. We will find your answer. And if you're first, you will have a chance to win this prize pack, which, by the way, not only the three discs, you get, I think, like a little bag and a sticker. So nice stuff from MVP. So let's talk a little bit about this tournament. U.S. Women's Disc Golf Championship is happening up in Michigan. And it will be at the... um, let me pull up the name of this course. It's at Birchfield Park in Holt, Michigan. The course is River's Edge. And it's a cool stuff about this tournament a little bit. You know, it doesn't get the fanfare that the USDGC does. But 
on Friday, they have uh, the first round in the afternoon. And then on Saturday, uh, they have two rounds, same day. And they have a fourth round on Sunday. By the way, shotgun start on um, on Friday, which is uh, something you don't see too often these days at these top tournaments. And I love this. After the final round, the top four players go and have a skins match on Sunday. So that's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, kind of just like a this event has a little bit of an older an old school vibe to it, I guess, because there's a little less media, there's a little less fanfare, um, and, and it's only for the top women's players, which is also a rarity on tour. And so kind of a nice time for everybody to just pay attention to what's going on at FPO. I hope to see this event get a little bit more media coverage in the future. Um, perhaps they can think about scheduling it in a part of the country that's a little bit more amenable to the media teams going and covering it. Cool looking course, though. I have to say, there's there's two courses at Birchfield Park. There's Devil's Den and River's Edge. I believe the FPO tee off tomorrow will be starting at River's Edge or Friday. We'll be starting at River's Edge, which uh, is the shorter of the two courses. I think it tops out around 6,800 feet. If they're playing the long layout at Devil's Den, my Sources say that it tops out at about 9,600 feet, so that's pretty long. I'm not sure if they'll play that full length or not. Um, if anybody has info on that, feel free to send us some messages and keep us updated. But Michigan golf, there's going to be some woods. There's going to be some bomber holes. There's going to be some elevation in play. Should be the whole smorgasbord of ability to show off skills during this weekend. And... Notably, the winner of this uh, will get a spot at the USDGC. It is reserved as a qualification tournament. Uh, Paige Bierkus, by the way, already has a spot because she won the world championship. So Paige Pierce is hoping to qualify. She was actually hoping to qualify last weekend. So she went up to the Canadian championships to try to finish. Now, just winning the division wouldn't have been enough. She would have had to finish... Uh, high enough of the tournament and the overall aggregate scoring to beat out enough of the men to get one of the spots that was available. She was not able to do that. So she will have to look to this event as her last chance to qualify for USDGC this year. She's played the event in the past. And so uh, a little bit of extra, a little bit of extra juice riding on this one for Paige Pierce after she didn't qualify this past weekend in Canada. Yeah, this is uh and it was kind of a disappointing show that final round. I know there was no real challenger to Paige Pierce in Canada. She, the whole reason she was there was the reason she skips a national tour is to try to get into USDGC. So I think she'll come with all the fire and bulletin board material needed to come up and try to take this thing down. Yeah, she. She. By the way, she did win FPO. At the Canadian Championships, uh, she beat Zoe Andike by eight strokes. And uh, just since we're on the topic, uh, there were a couple of other top pros over there in MPO. Uh, Nate Sexton won the tournament by two strokes over Chandler Fry. Uh, Fry hit an ace in the final round. Wasn't quite enough. Came up short to Nate Sexton, uh, who played very well throughout the week. And uh, maybe... Maybe a positive sign for those who hope to see him repeat at USDGC this year. Yeah, that's two wins in his last four starts for Nate Sexton. So he's quietly having a really good 
uh, second half of his season, you know, you kind of get overshadowed by a major and a national tour title, but he's got, he is the Canadian champion. He is also the current U S champion. So there was some joking around on, uh, Facebook is there is there a Mexican national championship <laughs> that Sexton could go to because North American crown he would he would be the NAFTA the <laughs> North American frisbee throwing uh, advocate so perfect he, he could be our NAFTA if he could go down to Mexico and somehow win a championship that doesn't exist down there so well I think as it stands because they don't have one he is the champ he's the mm. North American he's the NAFTA I love it uh, so let's take a look at our picks. We got to catch up on our picks from this NT, and then we got to make our picks for USWDGC. Yes, FPO USWDGC. Charlie, we should do. Let's make it a grudge match. Let's give the listeners a week off. I'm kind of tired of getting beat by them so often. So let's just take out our picks frustrations on each other for this week. How about that? Sounds fine to me. All right. In FPO, USWDGC, I, I'm stalling a little bit because, admittedly, I don't have as much information on this tournament as we kind of usually go into our picks with. Well, why don't we take a second and look at our picks from last week, well, and I'll go through them so that oh. you can think about your picks for this coming weekend. So, just to go through this quickly, um, the listeners win. I'm not going to bury the lead. They score 29 points. Uh, that was one point better than mine. I got a 30. And Jamie got a 50. So uh, brutal last place for Jamie again. Uh, the, the, big, the big challenge, I think, for Jamie was two things. He picked Kevin Jones to win. Kevin Jones took 22nd. Ouch. And didn't have Hokum to win FPO as uh, Daniel, the listener, did, as did I. So that was a minus five bonus for both of us. Um actually picked the podium in FPO. I had Hokum Bjorkas Tatar. It was Hokum Tatar Bjorkas, but I get max points there, or I should say minimum points. I get just the one point from uh, the six minus the five point bonus. However, I didn't quite do as well in MPO. I had Macbeth on my podium, but I had him in second. I had Conrad Macbeth Fish. That was worth a total of 29 points. Uh, the listener, Daniel, had Conrad Macbeth, Michael Johansson, and that was good for 25 points. So all told, uh, the listener gets 29, I get 30, and Jamie gets 50. Uh, he had Jones, Johansson, Heimberg, and then an FPO, Alan Birkus Tatar. Not bad picks, but uh, Kevin Jones just didn't come through for you. No, I uh, come on, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> I, I went out on a limb. You know, what am, What else are you going to do? I was influenced and emotional after Worlds and the one-timers. And, of course, the disc golf gods have decided that this would be the return to normalcy this weekend. And so I got slaughtered. But I had fun, and I'd do it again. There you go. So, Jamie, why don't you take it away? USWDGC picks grudge match week. Yeah, thanks for uh, bringing that back. I was trying to, like, skip over that and see if we could forget about me getting slaughtered this week. But... You were, you were a good host and, and brought it all back around. So, on to the future. Grudge match time. USWDGC. I'm not making the same mistake twice. Sarah Hokum is going to be a women's world champion once again. I She's playing so consistently. And you can't... We got to the point this season where you can't trust Paige Pierce. She's either going to win by 
12 strokes or she's not going to be in contention. It's too much of a roller coaster for me to pick. And I want to win this grudge match because I won the last one, but I will keep Paige Pierce on the podium. I will put her in second. And with all due respect to our one time Miss Bjorkis, Kristen Tatar is still in the U S and she has only played one round below her rating so far while on her U S tour. I expect that trend to continue and she will make the podium. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, our picks don't diverge too much though. Enough that there's going to, there will be a winner. I'm not matching you. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm going to start with a third place finisher. I'm going to put Sarah Hokum in third place. She's definitely going to finish on the podium. I feel like I could put a lot of money on that. I feel very confident that she will finish on the podium. But I only have her in third place. Uh, I have Bjerkus finishing in second place this week. I just think she's in great form right now. And in first, and I'm I'm riding the roller coaster, Jamie. I'm picking Paige Pierce. I think the, the bonus motivation of wanting to get that USDGC berth. And then she wanted it so much that she skipped an NT to try to go and qualify. This tells me she really wants it. I think, and it, not, not, not as though she didn't want to win Worlds or something like that, but I think that's just enough for me to feel confident that she's going to bring her A game and win this weekend. Um, and uh, that'll give her uh, a spot at USTGC. So uh, I've got in first, second, third, Pierce Birkus Hokum. You bought the ticket. You're riding the roller coaster. I'm riding the roller coaster. I rode at Worlds too, and it didn't work out for me. But uh, I don't think anybody really saw Birkus coming at that point. No, not not unless you were playing FPO. And if you're playing FPO, you're not making picks on this podcast because for obvious reasons. So, all right. Well, we have uh, two weeks now to USDGC. Almost exactly uh, two weeks from today. We're recording here on the 19th, Wednesday. Uh, two weeks from today, we will begin USDGC. So exciting stuff. We're getting to the end of this disc golf season. But the upshot's not ending. We've got many, many more shows coming your way. Um, more info to come about USDGC coverage very soon. And so I will just say, have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Enjoy the coverage of the U.S. Women's Disc Golf Championship. And we'll talk to you next week right here on The Upshot. See ya. See ya.